episode 15, The Mend Podcast. Your host, Joe Roeder here, working for The Reds Fly Shop. Good question came up on our Facebook feed last week when I started just kind of fishing for questions and trying to address needs and questions that you guys have. And the question was, what's the difference between a spay rod, a switch rod, and a short spay rod? And it was such a good question, I didn't even bother to try to hit it in the podcast where I answered uh, a handful of questions in episode 14. But I thought, man, that's a really good topic. That's a question that comes up the shop all the time, in email all the time, is, uh, you know, what's the difference? You know, if somebody's shopping for rods and or they have a particular destination and they're trying to figure out whether a different tool can help them be more effective... I thought that was just a totally worthy question. So anytime I teach anything about spay rods or two-handed fishing, I try to give a little bit of the history on it because I think it's really critical uh, that you kind of understand you know, why some of the gear was developed and the evolution of the gear. So, Plus, I'm going to give you some just sweet knowledge bombs that you can drop at the next cocktail party uh, or brew fest that you're at and just blow your friends away with your immense knowledge of the history of two-handed casting. Uh, but two-handed casting started in the mid-1800s, and uh, the the real, it was born out of necessity. And when I say that, I mean, it wasn't because it was, you know, the, they weren't just trying to cast a long ways, they weren't looking cool, they didn't uh, have Instagram with pictures of some dude casting two miles a line to get them ex- inspired. <laughs> Uh, it started out just because they were targeting Atlantic salmon, and uh, as a lot of you know, it was originally said to have started on the River Spey in Scotland, and uh, at a particular estate. But Atlantic salmon, uh, from what I know of them at that time of year, they would typically migrate when the water was up high and the rivers running bank full, and rivers really had kind of their backs to the alders. Really, no essentially no back cast, uh, which is it was just kind of different than how a lot of us use spay casting today, and that's when rivers are a little bit lower with the exception of winter steelhead. A lot of the, the fall and summer run steelhead and the winter steelhead of the early part of the season before the water pops up, say, you know, January, February, depending on rain conditions, obviously, we might be casting on a lot of exposed bars. But originally, Atlantic salmon, high water, fish are on the move, and guys are casting with their backs to the alders. Uh, rods were a lot longer then, uh, which speaks to the question, you know, what is a short spay? And the modern evolution of spay rods, they've gotten shorter and shorter and shorter. And I'll kind of talk you through some of the pros and cons of that uh, today as well. But rods were as much as 22 feet. Uh, rods that are, you know, 16 to 18 feet were really common. So that's kind of where it started. Um, you know, they weren't shooting line, but essentially had a you know a long static length of line that didn't change, which addressed the efficiency issue of you know having to strip line in. Uh, they could just take a long, you know, essentially I don't think they used the term long belly back then, but they could take a, a rod with a, a substantial length of line and aerialize it using the water uh, to help sustain a load on the rod and propel that line out making a really efficient cast, lots of swings, lots of presentation, hopefully putting more fish on the bank. And uh, it, you know, anytime I get a chance to study like history, I'm, 
you know, I love the outdoors, love everything about the outdoors. I do a lot of, uh, you know, in addition to fly fishing, I do tons of hunting and, and read a lot of, uh, I love reading like, you know, books about mountain men in the old West and whatnot. And one thing I try to remember is, you know, although, uh, it was 150 years ago, those guys still had the desire to catch a lot of fish. They still had ego and they still measured up, you know, at the end of the day on what their catch was. And, uh, I just try to remember that, that these guys were, they were developing a lot of this, these styles back then with the end result in mind. And that was catching more fish. And, uh, they had some things right back then that I think we kind of forget about now. And, uh, I, I just try to picture those guys at this, you know, castle or this estate, you know, that are kind of developing this stuff. And, uh, you know, they're fishing next to their pals or buddies and these guys want every advantage they can. Um, you know, I'm not a competitive angler, but I do know that when you fish in groups or socially, you don't want to be the low rod in camp. And these guys were getting after it. Uh, and in a lot of ways more so than we are today. And the two things I want to teach you that I teach in spay casting class or fishing class. If anybody's ever been with me, they probably heard this rant before, but we have a lot of spay casters out there and not enough spay fishermen. And, uh, when I say that, I tend to see a lot of people go to those open bars that I talked about and places with exposed gravel because it is a little bit more comfortable to cast, even with spay gear, when you have a lot of open airspace behind you. But these guys that develop this gear, they were standing right up against the alders. They were in it to win it. They were fishing. I picture them fishing very tough positions on high banks where there's a lot of swift water, maybe even standing dry and up on the shoreline so that they could get the best possible position for uh, just straight up catching some fish. So I think a little bit of that has been lost. That's why these guys were throwing such long rods is they could get more distance with less line stripping. Uh, that's going to be the next point that I'm going to talk about. And fish with their back up against uh, the wall in, I guess, the proverbial wall. And a lot of those Atlantic salmon were probably running along those high banks. The next thing is line stripping. Uh, in a modern Spangler, we love to shoot line. Oh, it's cool. It shoots out. I love it myself. I'm guilty as charged. Uh, but we love to shoot line. Uh, these guys weren't concerned about that. They were concerned about results and, uh, they didn't shoot line. Uh, they took a static length of line and there's some reasons they were able to do that that I'll get into in a second and, and how you understand modern spade rods and lines, but, uh, they didn't want to have the strip line. They wanted to be able to take that, you know, 60, 80 feet, whatever it was, uh, and be able to take and punch that line back out quickly and double their efficiency by not having to strip line. And, um, so I think some of that's been lost. You know, we've got these tiny Skagit heads now. Uh, you know, line length has, like rod length has gotten progressively shorter over the years and we've begun to shoot more line, which is fun. It's okay. I, I got a, a lot of passion for spay casting. Um, a lot of passion for spay fishing too. There's a, there's, I believe there to be a subtle difference between the two, but, Rods have gotten progressively shorter, lines have gotten shorter. The result is our casts have gotten, you know, maybe longer, maybe not, but the result is we have to shoot more line now, which requires more time spent stripping in line at the end of a presentation. Net result there is more downtime between presentations. Okay, so 
we've got the history down there now, and I want to get into just kind of explaining where we're at today is there's two major uh, kind of types of spay casts, and this is going to be important as you, you learn a little bit more here. Uh, there's Skagit style casting, which is really modern casting that was born in the Pacific Northwest. Um, I'm not old enough to claim to be a pioneer of any of that, but I've met some of these dudes, and it's pretty cool that uh, we live in the Pacific Northwest, and we scale, sell Skagit-style gear to people all over the world. And I think a lot of them don't even know that the Skagit's a river in the Northwest. Uh, <laughs> I love it when they pronounce it Skagit. Uh, I know they're definitely from out of town. Uh, but Skagit-style casting, it really changed the face of spay casting all over the world. And uh, that's kind of more modern-style casting. And... Uh, that was really kind of born again out of necessity, and, and there's some really creative guys that, you know, I've been, been fortunate to fish with a couple of them that um, really helped evolve that modern gear set and that modern style cast. Um, more on that in a second. The other the, the other one, I would say, is Scandinavian style casting. Now, there, I'm spay is not all I do. There's people who know far more about spay casting than I do, but I can summarize it like this. Scandinavian style casting is going to be more of a, a touch and go where you develop this in, inertia or this this energy in the cast and the flight or the the head of the line or the leader you know some terminal end of the line is going to touch the water very briefly reestablish a load on the rod and then be launched across the river. Skagit style casting is sustained anchor casting where. You may make an in initial move with the, the head and the sink tip of the fly, reposition it strategically, and that fly is going to make contact with the water the entire time uh, that you're loading the rod until it's launched uh, you know, out towards the other side of the river. So uh, Skagit style casting is sustained anchor casting, and I think that this isn't meant to be a complete casting lecture, but it, the more I've taught spay casting, the more important I realize some of this stuff is in understanding the cast, but it is sustained anchor casting. That anchor cannot move from the time you anchor it and reposition it. That's step one of essentially every spay cast. Um, fly gets anchored. That fly has to stay anchored until it's launched to the other side of the river. So uh, anglers wanted to essentially the modern evolution. I didn't study up on this or prepare for it. This is, I like to call these organic podcasts. Uh, but essentially, uh, you know, what transpired in this evolution of modern spay casting is anglers are, you know, really wanting to use, you know, the two-handed style rods for all their advantages, uh, fishing for winter steelhead on the Skagit River system and its surrounding tributaries. And they had a different set of challenges. They they still had the alders and the trees against the bank and uh, wanted to fish some, some tough spots to wade. Also be able to heave large weighted flies and sink tips uh, favorable distances without fatigue, uh, which is, you know, fatigue again is a big part of it. And so they wanted to be able to do that for days on end and you launch these weighted systems. And uh, they couldn't do it with the, the gear that was coming out of Europe. Just it wouldn't turn over and launch and pick that weighted gear up out of the water. So guys started to cannibalize gear. Uh, you know, They'd cut 12-weight lines and heavier lines, and the result was they were really kind of building a lot of this on the go and uh, building shorter shooting heads uh, 
in building running line systems and sync tips that would allow them to do a couple of things. And that's one, get a fly deep and slow uh, to present effectively for winter steelhead. Very different than Atlantic salmon. Uh, the next thing was they had to have shorter heads because in order to pick that sinking gear up out of the water and reposition it for an anchor and then launch it, you just have to have a shorter head. Shorter heads handle weighted flies better. So uh, heads got shorter. I think the first gadget head I got must have been about 25 feet. Now it's pretty standard to have them about 23 feet and even shorter. Uh, I run a lot of Skagit short heads for my big two-handed rods uh, that are about 20 feet. Uh, my intermediate heads are 20 feet. And then, uh, you know, pure Skagit or, tr or micro Skagit stuff, it can be anywhere from 12 or 11 to 15 feet foot head. So the heads have gotten shorter, hence the rods have gotten shorter, but it makes it easier, especially for a beginning or intermediate angler to pick up weighted flies. And, and there are lots of pros and cons to the, to the shorter heads uh, as well. But that's essentially what happened is they had this, these challenges dealt with them or dealt to them, weighted flies, uh, still tough casting scenarios, sink tips, and essentially out of that was born modern Skagit style casting and a different you know set of casts, a, a different style that sustained anchor casting uh, was born, and now we have you know modern Skagit style casting. It's really kind of the blueprint for most uh, spay casting all over the planet, and it was born all right here. So. That's just a, a total hack job of uh, kind of the evolution of modern two-handed casting. Where we're going to go today in today's podcast is just explaining uh, what the real difference between uh, spay rods, switch rods, and short spay rods are. So, uh, true spay, I'll just start with true spay rods, and I'll kind of talk a little bit about rod weight and kind of where you should be depending on what you're going to do Um uh, on that, and uh, I guess I'll next contrast that with switch rods and talk short spay rods somewhere in between. But uh, a full blown, you know, two handed true spay rod is really they engineer and design those exclusively to be cast with two hands. And so it's said that, you know, making numbers up here to degree, but it's said that 80% of the energy in a spay cast is generated in your bottom hand. So <clears throat> when these guys build these rods, uh, they they engineer them specifically for that energy to be generated in the bottom hand. And that's going to be a little bit different than a switch rod that we'll talk about a little bit later. And, and one thing I love about spay casting, and I try to preach this when I'm doing the, the 101 thing, is you it doesn't matter how cool you are how talented you are uh how much tempo or grace that you have you can't you can't outsmart the system i mean these rods and lines were engineered with a specific plan on how to cast it and i'm constantly humbled and reminded that sticking to the fundamentals and following the rules is the only way to get perfect efficiency out of these because I've tried it myself. I was a horrific spay caster. Horrible when I started. In fact, my first spay lesson was given to me by a guy who was, he's a little bit younger than me. Um, he's, uh, his name is, is Joe and, uh, he's guiding out in Montana somewhere. So coincidentally, his name was also Joe. But I remember we were at a boat launch and we got done guide, we were guiding together for the day and he's like, Hey, check this out. And he had this, uh, 
this, this old, you know, ancient now, this old Winston two-hander, and uh, he was so excited about it, and uh, showed it to me, <laughs> and tried to give me a lesson there at the boat launch, and he literally just ended up walking away, I was that bad, just not a good student, <laughs> and and uh, but damn, I was enamored by that, because a couple of times I really uh, felt like I got a hold of it, but it must have been ugly to watch, but uh, point being, I was a pretty good single-handed caster at that time, and no matter what I did to try to out, you know, out tempo it or outsmart it, you have to follow the rules that are laid out because they engineer and design these rods with a very specific cast in mind. And it's great for the beginner because as long as they follow the fundamentals, they can cast these two-handed rods and achieve great efficiency. But you have to know the basics. So spay rods are <clears throat> designed with that two-handed casting stroke in mind, and you really have to follow the rules in order to achieve great success there. Um, two-handed, true full-blown spay rods are going to be something that's going to be anywhere from 12 to, to 18 feet. Uh, the most common you know, spay rods are going to be that 13 or 13.5-foot 13 7-weight. I like to call that the F-150 of spay rods. And uh, save your Ford jokes for later. I drive a Ford. Uh, <laughs> uh, put them in the comments. Uh, I'd love to hear those. But that's the F-150. And uh, it, it just does everything you need it to do. It'll carry heavy loads if you need it to. It'll, you can still drive around town and run some errands with it. But uh, it's really the half-ton pickup. So very versatile. You can take that anywhere from you know your some of your rivers in California uh, for, for smaller summer on steelhead all the way to the Olympic Peninsula, Washington State, or the Skagit River. Uh, you can even dabble in BC with that no problem. And uh, it's going to be able to cast large weighted flies all the way down to muddlers and such and give you a lot of versatility. So um, that 13 foot 7 weight, 13 and a half if you're going to be on big water is a really common, common setup. Uh, most anglers are pairing that up with some type of floating Skagit head uh, for great versatility. Uh, I'll probably do another podcast just talking about shooting heads uh, and, and how that can give you a lot more latitude with the same rod. But floating Skagit heads are by far the most common. If you're a beginner or neophyte, start there and then think about working into Scandinavian style stuff or even intermediate Skagit heads later on. So... Um, so that's kind of the the you're gonna work somewhere off of that if you're if you're shopping spay rods. Uh, my most common ones, uh, my current favorite model is a 13 foot six weight uh, in a moderate action, uh, and then I have a 12 and a half foot in a moderate action that I've had for 15 years that I still love. Just and then maybe the lesson there is you know I. Uh, my wife and I, well, we've been married 16 years now, and uh, I think that was our first, yeah, first wedding anniversary. Uh, she just set the, normally that's not much of a gift. She's like, oh, I set the money aside so you can get this spay rod you've been wanting. And, uh, you know, which normally that means don't spend it. It's a test. We didn't have a penny to our name, but she set uh, a few hundred bucks aside and really sweet of her. And I, I ended up taking the bait and I bought the rod. And uh, it's been kind of a... Uh, uh, a reminder of how great our marriage is. Uh, it sounds super corny, but uh, I bought top of the line back then, and now it's a uh, an old sage European style rod. And uh, yes, my modern rods are far better performing, but I still love that rod. The finish is still great. The cork is still great, uh, even though I've put you know thousands of river miles on that thing, and you know hundreds of thousands of casts probably. 
It's a great rod, but that's a 12 and a half foot six. Uh, that's kind of on the light end. Great for summer steelhead. Uh, too heavy for trout. But uh, I pivot anywhere from a 12 and a half foot uh, six weight to moderate action for most of my uh, northwest steelheading. And uh, my current heavy rod is a 13 foot seven weight uh, Sage X, uh, which I love. That thing's my cannon. Um, I can reach out and touch the far bank uh, with that one. Really like that rod. Uh, super high performance. Uh, still easy enough to cast, but pretty pretty high octane. Uh, if you're shopping spay rods, I generally encourage you to start with more moderate action stuff. If we're going to talk specific models, my go-tos are the Sage Mod uh, and uh, the Sage X. So those I have the Sage X and the 13 foot seven weight, the Sage Mod and the 13 foot six weight. Uh, those are my go-tos. There's lots of fantastic products out there. I don't want to make this a total product podcast, but I love the way those cast. Uh, I think that 13 foot six weight Sage Mod is one of the finest rods ever built. I uh, really, really like that. I've never seen such high performance come out of a kind of a moderate or medium action rod. So. Easy to cast, uh, fun to launch, uh, love how that thing throws both short and long. So uh, those are where I pivot. If you're going to tra- uh, make trips to British Columbia uh, or dabble with uh, Chinook fishing, you're definitely looking at going 13, anywhere, from, well, 12 and a half foot if you're going to be on small BC water or small Chinook water, 12 and a half foot, eight weight to a 10 foot, 15 weight. And it really depends on water size, not so much fish size. Because I uh, I did a trip in, in uh, my first full-blown just bonsai spay trip. I went to the Connect Dock River in Alaska uh, a lot of years ago. Uh, that was like 2008, I think. And uh, did nothing but fish Chinook for six days straight, like 12 to 18 hours a day. I mean, I was delirious by the end of it. And that uh, was an awesome trip. Caught a bunch of Chinook. Really just a complete and total, you know, big spay rod immersion trip. And what I learned from that trip was I went up with, I was undersized on the gear a little bit, which didn't really affect me on fighting fish. I mean, you can use low rod angles, heavy tippet, big drags. Um, but the fatigue factor on a spay trip in it is, it is a real issue. It really is. The guys... That we're throwing like 9140s, and if you don't speak, you know, fly rod lingo, it, that's a 14 foot nine weight. The guys that were throwing those uh, rods and those in the in the 10 foot 15 weight, man, even the guys like I don't, I was in my mid 20s at that time. There are these older guys that are, you know, lots of experience and probably like the story of the old bull and the young bull, <laughs> but. Those older guys, those bigger rods that had done that trip a lot, I mean, they fished very fluidly and effectively just as many hours as I did. I mean, I couldn't believe the stamina of those guys um, because of those bigger rods that were probably set up a little bit better for that fishing. Um, they were able to to continue fishing with very little fatigue through the end of the week. And I was throwing like a 13-foot, 9-weight, uh, thirteen like a 13-foot, 8-9 Loomis Stinger at that time. And uh, I had a couple rods with me, but I fished that Loomis Stinger a lot, and that's a fantastic rod. But for throwing big intruder-style flies and T14, you know, super fast sink tips all week, it literally the tendons in my left hand were just completely inflamed. I mean, it was just like ibuprofen and scotch every night trying to get my hand to, to calm down and quit burning. 
And uh, so that was lesson learned on that. So if you're on big water, um, if you're going to go to the Skeena, you're going to go to big, you know, larger streams like the Connectock, for instance, for Chinook, or just there's tons of other rivers, of course. Be thinking about that 14 foot 9 weight, even 15 foot 10 weight. Uh, if you're going to be <clears throat> on small brush choke streams where your long cast might be 60 feet, think about that 12 and a half foot 8 Olympic Peninsula type stuff. 12 and a half foot 8 is pretty nice to make short, quick little casts with short heads, especially if you're going to be throwing up under brush and sticks or trees on the opposing shoreline. So um, hopefully that's a good rundown on the, <clears throat> the heavier end of those spay rods. On the lighter end of a full-blown spay, those situations might be summer-run steelhead fishing where you're throwing muddlers, damp flies, lightweight flies, Umpqua, Rogue, Northern California. Uh, some of the Columbia River tributaries like the Grand Raw and John Day, uh, Methow, Wenatchee, uh, we're probably dabbling with some lighter weight stuff now, and that's going to be like your 12 and a half foot fives. And a lot of that is, again, not just the size of the fish, but it's the size of the, the flies that you're going to throw and the weight of the lines. Summer steelhead are often going to be caught in very clear water, um, and that's going to be smaller flies, long leaders. And part of the fun of those fisheries is going to be getting a fish to come to the surface and either take not necessarily a dry fly, but what would be called a damp fly or a traditional fly where it's right under the surface. And that's pretty intense and exciting because that fish often comes several feet or a long ways to grab that fly. And by the time it gets there, there's a lot of momentum built up and it's just like a hand grenade, man. They take, the take can be incredible. So if you're going to fish lightweight or damp flies on a lot of those streams, um, you're thinking maybe 12 and a half foot five if you want to get sporty. Um, if that's all, you know, the only places that you fish and, uh, you're going to be casting exclusively two handed, that'd be a good choice for you. Um, <clears throat> Those rods have a, still have a pretty good um, capacity for fish fighting, and I'll try to ex explain a little bit about that in just a second here. Uh, but paired up with the right lines, um, if you're going to stick to those streams where the top end fish might be 8, 10 pounds, uh, or 8 to 10 pounds, then that 12 and a half foot 5 is a pretty cool choice. And that's, again, if you're going to exclusively fish two-handed. If you're thinking you might need an overhand situation, there's some other options there uh, for you as well. But uh, that, that kind of summarizes the, the full-blown two-handed stuff. Um, before I kind of go in and contrast what a switch rod is and why you know that might make more sense for you, uh, I want to explain just a little bit about just lifting capacity of two-handed rods versus traditional single-handed rods, because I think that's one place that a lot of people often go go wrong is uh, a seven-weight single-handed rod is not equivalent to a seven-weight two-handed rod. Um, if you've ever even picked one up, um, and a lot of people shoot with today's busy schedules and and not being able to get to a fly shop, especially a shop you know, uh, where you can actually cast this stuff before you buy. And here I'll insert my plug for, for Reds because we are a really special shop. I mean, we're very unique in the sense that we have arguably the biggest fly fishing inventory in the country from spay gear to tropical gear to everything in between. We've got it all. And we're on literally have a river 150 or a couple hundred feet from our, our shop where we can go out and cast spay rods 
it, it goes on on a daily basis. Um, we go out and test stuff or customers show up and they're about to drop 1500 bucks or I don't care if you're only going to drop 300 bucks. Come out to our shop and cast a couple of rods before you buy it. Um, it's a great test drive. But uh, if you don't, you know, you can't make it to the Pacific Northwest or come out to Reds and do that kind of thing, uh, you know, you may be buying the stuff sight unseen. But just know that the pure weight and lifting capacity or what's called hanging capacity of a two-handed rod is generally about two line weights greater. So a seven-weight single-handed rod uh, is about equivalent to a five-weight two-handed rod. So... If you're currently steelhead fishing and you're catching, you know, a lot of, uh, you know, smaller summer run steelhead in that, say, three to six pound range, and you're usually uh, using and prefer seven weight single handed rod, you're probably going five weight two handed rod. Uh, and, and the numbers, you know, keep going up. If you're normally, you know, using <clears throat> uh, an eight weight single handed rod and you're very comfortable with that, be thinking about a six weight spay rod. So, that's generally, I mean, it's not an exact formula, of course, but that's generally the, the conversion rate that we're going to use between those two rods of customers are going to come and chat with us and they're comfortable on a six weight single hander. Um, we're probably going to go, you know, somewhere in that four weight with a two handed rod, uh, for whatever species they're fishing. Could be trout, could be steelhead or whatever. So that's our general conversion rate. Um, now on to, to switch rods. Let's talk about switch rods, and uh, I'll talk about the evolution of those uh, as well, uh, and where kind of they've gone, because they've gone through definitely some changes from when they first really hit the market and be, began getting utilized by, um, you know, first guides, you know, were kind of the first ones to jump into to that end of things. I know I went head over heels for them. I started throwing switch rods in about 2006. And uh, just had to have it. Um, I was doing a ton of steelheading at that time. Our steelhead runs were so good and so strong. And I was spending about, oh, t at least two to three months of the year really focusing exclusively on steelhead. And one of the the problems that were dealt, I'd say, uh, is not just as guides, but just as fishermen, is if we go pack a rod down the hill for the day, and we're gonna we're gonna be fishing on foot. We've got one rod to do it all. We might want to swing flies in the morning, and then we may want to indicator fish during the day when the fish are kind of holed up and not traveling and not as uh, generally aggressive to chase flies. So a switch rod in that instance, a true switch rod, can make perfect sense for an angler that is both gonna gonna utilize it for spay casting and swinging. And then may want to re-rig midday, you know, likely with a different line system. I'll, I'll touch on that just real briefly in a moment. But uh, switching up, the, you're likely switching up your line system and then indicator fishing during the day. Uh, if you need one rod to do it all, a switch rod can certainly fill that bill. So that's where switch rods really started was uh, guys wanted to have one rod they could do multiple things with and be versatile and switch back and forth between not not necessarily just overhead or single hand casting and spay casting, but they could do a couple of different fishing strategies with the same rod, and that's really where it be, it, it was born. And then you can certainly use them for beach casting or lake fishing, lots of other stuff. But that's 
really where they became popular is for steelhead fishing and using it for a multifaceted presentation. The first switch rods that really hit the market were primarily in that seven weight range. I mean, that was the, the kind of the go-to number for in, in, initial, the most popular switch rods. And they, of course, they made, you know, manufacturers. A lot of them were making them just like five, you know, I don't even know if they're making five weights, like six, seven, eight. And people were starting to really buy them specifically for what I talk about, talked about that multifaceted presentation of indicator fishing overhead casting, uh, slash doing some spay casting with it. And that's changed dramatically. So what the hell happened uh, over the last 10 years or so that's kind of changed uh, modern switch rod tapers, design, length, everything? Uh, what we've seen happen is people have really become uh, more fascinated and enamored with catching fish swinging flies, as they should. It's an awesome way to fish. It's my preferred, almost exclusively preferred way to fish, and that wasn't always the case for me. I've caught probably thousands of steelhead on an indicator. I just don't choose to do it that much anymore. If you want to nymph fish for steelhead, great, go for it. I still do a lot of it when I'm guiding uh, but like a lot of anglers really want to catch them, you know, supposedly the right way. Oh gosh, I can just imagine the hate mail coming in right now. Uh, but catching fish on a swung tight line moving fly is incredibly exciting and anglers love the process and the journey and all the cool experiences they get in presenting that swung fly, uh, all the way along the way, it's just, it's fun to fish, it's clean, it's the, ca the casting is beautiful, it's just kind of why they signed up for fly fishing to begin with. Whereas indicator fishing for steelhead's a lot messier, you snag bottom a lot more, it's, it, you catch white fish along the way, there's lots of false alarms when you're setting the hook, either on a rock, a stick, or a white fish, or trout, or whatever. Whereas swung flies, there's this, there's this process that's almost completely empty where you're just waiting in anticipation. You know, never letting your guard down all the way from that, you know, could be a hundred casts, could be a thousand casts. All the way along that journey, you're just waiting in anticipation for that one big grab. And uh, anglers have really gravitated towards that. It's just a beautiful way to fish. So in that process, you know, the, the market has really responded to that angler hunger and demand for, for rods that cast, switch rods that cast spay lines better. And are less, uh, the engineering has been geared towards using switch rods as two-handed rods, not just as, you know, overhand rods. So switch rods are going to be um, uh, definitely under 12 feet. Generally, there's a couple of models that are built out that are titled switch rods. Some of them are just titled two-handed rods that are 11 foot, 9 inch on down. Uh, and I'll explain real briefly the terms short spay and the term short spay is a term that is a two-handed rod meant to cast spay style cast that's either Skagit or Scandinavian style casting that's sub 12 feet and that could be 1111 and it'd be titled a short spay when it's titled a short spay it's not meant for single hand casting at all it's not designed for that and the, the way the graphite is tapered and the spine of that rod is not going to single-handed cast very well at all. So short spay are, meant, are not meant to be cast single-handed at all. Switch rods still have some design and engineering in the tip that is going to allow you to cast them single-handed. So 
Switch rods, okay to cast single-handed a little bit. You're not gonna, you know, you're not gonna need Tommy John surgery after you know a day of fishing uh, overhead casting a switch rod. Short spay rods, you will need Tommy John surgery after casting them overhand for a day. So, switch rods really have evolved. They've gotten longer. Um, everything was about 10 and a half to 11 feet early on. A lot of anglers using them for both overhead casting and indicator fishing, uh, where they might need some, you know, finer mending detail, uh, and casting them overhead. And the evolution's been towards longer rods, lots of 11 foot, six inch, uh, two handed, or excuse me, switch rods now, lots of, you know, even up to 11, nine, and lots of longer rods because the customer base has really responded really well. Um, their surveys, their industry data, I suppose, has suggested that anglers are using them almost exclusively for two-handed casting. So that's where they really gear their engineering. There's still some great rods. Uh, the most popular one that we sell for anglers that are like, no, I'm going to cast this thing overhead some. I'm going to use it with indicators. I'm going to use it to swing sometimes too. I'm really going to use it for what its original intended purpose was, and that's a hybrid rod. Echo still makes that, that it's that called SR for switch rod. Very creative. Uh, the Echo SR is still being made. It's been made for quite a few years, and that one's probably the best, in my opinion, for anglers that are going to use it for both overhead casting and two-handed casting. You can argue with me if you want. I don't care. Put it in the comments. I think everybody could learn from your feedback. If you've got something you think is better than the Echo SR for you know casting both single hand and two handed casting, maybe a 50-50 split, shoot, put it in there. I'd love to hear about it. Uh, but the Echo SR, from my experience, is the best one for that. Um, we sell quite a few of those rods to people who are going to do that. Uh, Temple Fork Deer Creek still makes one that's pretty good. Most of the Sage stuff and the Winston stuff... Uh, the Berkheimer, we sell a bazillion rods, Loomis. Um, I can't even think of all the brands we sell off the top of my head, but, uh, those rods are really geared towards two hand casting. Uh, so that's my two cents worth switch rods. The original idea was that you'd use them, you know, 50, 50 overhead versus spay. What's really happened is people are just two handed casting them, but the taper is still built in a way where you kind of can overhead cast them. The next application that switch rods are really handy for, some guys are using them just to simply dump a whole bunch of line, um, and that might mean coastal fishing or lake fishing, where they're going to overhead cast them with a true back cast with two hands. And I say that's the fastest way to a 120-foot fly cast. And I've got a YouTube video that's, I think it's like, oh, it's something catchy, like, you know, easy tip for big distance with a switch rod or something to that effect, and you can see a visual demonstration of that, but basically it's one slow, very, you have to be careful with this stuff because these are heavy shooting heads, one real slow, easy back cast with a full shooting head, so it's one back cast with two hands, and it's got to be very patient back cast because that's a very heavy line, and you can't stop and go very, very abruptly with these rods, but you can launch it casting overhead, and that's Switch rods typically do that a lot better than full-blown spay rods, just based on how they're they're manufactured. And you can you can launch some line overhead. So if you're fishing, you know, a coast, maybe you're fishing stripers, 
maybe you're fishing sea run cutthroat in the Puget Sound or salmon or just any anything on the coast. I mean, there's a bazillion species out there. People are fishing for rockfish and all sorts of different stuff out on the ocean side where it's just, hey, I need cast a, you know, a weighted fly like a klaus or some sort long ways, strip it back. Um, Pyramid Lake, uh, you know, for Big Lahontan cutthroat, and we got a ton of lakes in the on the, the dry side, the desert side of the Cascade Mountains where, hey, if you can throw a, a leech 100 feet and you know, get some good sink time on it, you're going to catch more big trout. So it's it's just a matter of, of coverage. And if you're going to wade fish the edge, the shoreline of lakes, um, where you're definitely going to have some impeded back cast, that shooting head with a switch rod uh, is a great system. And again, that's make sure it's a specific switch rod, not just a, you know, a short spay or spay rod, because they just, they overhead cast so much better. It has to do with the, the recovery in the tip, I believe, I'm not a rod engineer, but that it's just a very different taper, and those switch rods tend to propel lines that are cast overhead so much more effectively uh, when it's cast overhead. So, uh, hopefully, this this dissection of the the full blown spay and the rod weights that are appropriate and the difference between those and a spay rod or short spay rod versus a switch rod and what their intended purposes are uh, are helpful. I'm going to do another podcast and I'm going to dissect line systems and because line systems have a huge impact on the the effectiveness of the rod and what you might use it for. So I'll do a totally different podcast on that maybe next week or so. And uh, if you want to p- ask some questions uh, in the comments on this podcast, I'll make sure to, to check those before I record the next one and Hopefully you have some questions about that that I can hit for you. Uh, if you don't currently follow us on Facebook uh, and Instagram, uh, jump on. Get a get a feed going on there. We update that thing all the time. You can see what we're doing, and hopefully we can help connect you with a fish or two through what we're putting out there. So thanks for following, and uh, ask some questions in the comments. I'd love to hear from you guys.